You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Property Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Future Perfect. And we're going to start things off a little differently today. We're going to give you a picture of a possible future that's far from perfect. Umer Irfan, our climate reporter here at Vox, is going to take us on a trip through time. Good morning, Dylan. It's 11 a.m. on Saturday, August 13th, 2050. Alarm off. You wake up in your small apartment and look out your window at a grim gray seawall. Your building is like most buildings these days, built to withstand extreme weather. Powerful storms have been on the uptick, and the water is rising. Millions of people, including some of your friends, have already lost their homes, and many of them have left the New Jersey coast. Electra, how hot is it out there? The temperature is currently 105 degrees. I guess I'm not going to Ellen's thing. Um, when's the last time I went outside? It has been 31 days since you went outside. I will remind you that there's a mosquito warning in effect because of the heat and humidity. To go to Ellen's picnic, even in lower heat, would be to risk Zika, West Nile. Yeah, no, I know. I know that. Would you like me to keep the temperature at 80 degrees today? Uh, Yes, please. I ask because your energy bill is currently 6. Yeah, I, I know what my energy bill is. Thanks, Electra. You look over at your android cat, Asibot. At least she charges by lounging in the sun. Would you like some breakfast, Dylan? Uh, what's in the fridge? Decades ago, you could have had Jersey Fresh local vegetables, but the local farms failed because of saltwater intrusion. I've prepared you a soy green smoothie calibrated to your vitamin and antioxidant needs. I'll, I'll wait. Uh, turn on the radio, please. Okay. From NPR News in New Washington, I'm Mango Pinkwater. National Guard troops are monitoring a water standoff on the Colorado River. Last year, Utah farmers illegally dammed the river to keep their crops alive. Armed ranchers in Arizona are now fighting back. They're stealing our water. I've already lost half my cows. That's John Fletchy Fitch, leader of the ranchers. He says tensions have been building for years. Water levels in the Colorado River keep hitting record lows. 
Meanwhile, in Chicago, Ameline Fernandez Blanchard was just signed in as mayor. She's a Louisiana Bayou refugee, one of thousands living on the city's west side. I can never go back home, but I have made a new home here. And I want to make sure it's a real home for everyone. And Apple has revealed its new glass wall interface. The device turns walls into interactive holographic screens. It was piloted in Colorado. Children there stay inside to avoid ash and dust from wildfires and drought. They were able to play in projections of sunlight and blue skies. Apple CEO Jeanne Sherpy-Cramp presented the device this morning. We want everyone to use it. Seniors who can't handle the Texas heat. Wisconsin kids who have never seen the woods because the risk of Lyme disease is too high. We all spend so much time indoors nowadays. The news is too grim. Electra, uh, play some oldies. Okay, here's a podcast from 2018. Heat, drought, sickness, refugee crises. The future could look like this in a very, very short 30 years, before I retire. But what if we could slow things down? From the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is Future Perfect, a podcast that looks at some of the world's biggest problems through the lens of effective altruism. I'm Dylan Matthews. Effective altruism is all about finding the best ways to tackle human and animal suffering. And sometimes the best way to fix those problems is to prevent them from happening in the first place. That's why many effective altruists are focused on climate change to prevent the really grim future that Umer laid out for us. But it's hard to make headway on climate change, especially here in the US where we can't even agree on whether or not it's real. There is a very, very doable intervention that some scientists are starting to consider though. This idea, it's, it's kind of weird. I would even say it's wacky. And it involves messing with our atmosphere even more than we already have. The idea is to spray huge quantities of chemicals into the atmosphere in order to slow down some of the effects of climate change. Seriously. Today on the show, Gernit Wagner is going to walk us through some of the pros and cons of this plan. He's an economist at Harvard working with a laboratory that's studying the idea. They call it solar geoengineering. The very first principle of what solar geoengineering is, is sort of the same idea of why you and I were white between Memorial and Labor Day and why winter coats are black. White reflects sunlight and cools what's underneath and black absorbs sunlight and warms what is underneath. Solar geoengineering takes advantage of that principle and tries to make the planet overall more reflective to cool it. Solar geoengineering is about making the world more lightly colored. And there are a bunch of different ways you can do that. One option is to paint all of our roofs and our parking lots white, or to grow paler crops. And all that white will bounce sunlight back out into space instead of absorbing it here on Earth. Another one that's often discussed is marine cloud brightening. About 10% of the planet is covered with these marine clouds. 
if you make them brighter, you reflect more sunlight back into space. One of the ideas is to spray salt water through nozzles that make tiny, tiny droplets into those clouds and to brighten them, to make them more reflective. Or we could just pump lots and lots of chemical particles into the atmosphere. Those chemicals would make a giant cloud that would bounce sunlight back into space, like a miles-wide parasol. We know this works in principle because we've seen it happen after volcano eruptions. Those release clouds of chemicals too. We can study the Mount Pinatubo eruption in the Philippines in 1991, and it turns out global average temperatures 12 to 18 months later were about half a degree centigrade cooler than they would have been without the volcanic eruption. Nature, not humans, nature, the volcano, managed to essentially wipe out global average warming temporarily. A year later, temperatures were back up. We could use a plane or a balloon to put those volcano-like chemicals into the atmosphere. But this wouldn't be a permanent solution. It's a bit like trying to plug a hose with a bunch of paper towels. The towels will stop the hose for a little bit if you have enough of them, but then they'll disintegrate after a while and you have to keep replacing them. We'd have to keep pumping out chemical clouds over and over, or suddenly we'd have a giant temperature spike. All of which is to say that solar geoengineering is not a replacement for fighting greenhouse gas emissions. It could put the brakes on global warming and buy us a little time so that we can bring emissions down and figure out some other solutions. Also, it's really, really cheap. The cost of a bunch of chemicals and some planes. One to $10 billion per year. I'd have to sell a couple more books to be able to do it myself. <laughs> but uh, still, that's not a lot of money. I mean, compared to the cost of unmitigated climate change, those are measured in the trillions of dollars. For context, we budgeted more than $400 billion to develop and produce a new line of fighter jets. So on paper, solar geoengineering sounds like a dream solution for effective altruists. It's easy to implement, it has pretty low costs, and it prevents a lot of suffering down the line. Plus, you're making a chemical sunshade, you're making nozzles to spray seawater or growing giant fields of white crops, and it's, it's just kind of amazing to imagine this level of human engineering. It is, and in many ways, that's the right and the exact wrong reaction <laughs> to, to all of this. <laughs> uh, it's sort of the right reaction in the sense that, oh, cool, there are people out there thinking about ideas that could potentially help make the planet cooler. Maybe there are, in fact, ways that can help us in our attempt to minimize the impact of climate change. But Gurnett doesn't want us to get too comfortable with the idea that solar geoengineering will just swoop in and save the day. That leads us to then say, oh, cool, there are these sort of engineering gimmicks out there. Great, we can go on with our lives, don't have to cut emissions. Well, no, right? <laughs> That's where this would lead us entirely astray. One of the real, real questions with any of these interventions is, what does that now do to our desire to cut emissions in the first place? Solar geoengineering isn't a new idea. It's been floating around for a few decades. 
But most scientists have steered clear because they were afraid that it could distract people from cutting emissions. Now we're in the process, we as a global community, as a scientific community, climate policy community, seeing this taboo on solar geoengineering research be broken. Eventually, it'll be a serious policy conversation around this topic to, in fact, take some of this research more seriously than it currently is. What does taking this research seriously look like? More on that after the break. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Solar geoengineering research is happening right now at a small scale. But that doesn't mean we're just spraying the atmosphere full of particles willy-nilly, despite what you might have heard from some conspiracy theorists. The ongoing illegal climate intervention operations are decimating the biosphere. YouTube is just full of videos about the supposedly widespread effects of geoengineering. This includes further fueling catastrophic forest fires all over the globe. Aluminum from climate engineering fallout is saturating forest soils, poisoning root systems, and killing trees from the bottom up. So let's be 100% clear. There are no large-scale solar geoengineering projects right now. Solar geoengineering is not filling forests with aluminum or killing trees, no matter what anyone says on YouTube. But if we did try a form of solar geoengineering in the future, We'd have to spray the chemicals into the atmosphere, not just once, but over and over again, so that we could maintain the cooling effect over time. There probably would be side effects, and we really need to understand what those would be. What's the impact on global average temperatures? We don't only care about that. We care about, for example, not just averages, we care about extremes. Extreme heat kills people. It's not the average that kills people, it's the extremes. If you're trying to cool the planet, you could also create extremes. Do you remember Snowpiercer? That movie where the Earth gets so cold that the only place you can live is inside a giant train? Mr. Wilford knew that CW7 would freeze the world. So what did the prophetic Mr. Wilford invent to protect the Chosen from that calamity? The whole premise of that movie is that they did geoengineering, and it did not work out well. What happens if the engine stops? We all freeze and die. What happens to precipitation? What happens to weather patterns? Big, big questions out there. And yes, lots of research to be done to try to understand 
these better. That's what the Harvard lab is doing. Right now, it's mostly stuff on computer models and in labs, but they have started to do very, very small scale outdoor research. Researchers are going up in weather balloons and they're releasing tiny, tiny quantities of sulfur particles, maybe a kilogram at a time. To give you a sense, that's about the same amount that one commercial airliner releases in one minute of flight. It's a tiny amount, but unlike the airliner chemicals, the scientists can control these tiny clouds they're making and study them. To figure out what are the reactions happening in the atmosphere when one releases some of these tiny particles. Grunet Wagner thinks this research is critical because we have two possible futures ahead of us. A rational one and an irrational one. In the rational one, we get to decide. Voters and politicians calmly weigh the risks and the benefits and decide if the side effects of solar geoengineering are worth it. And then we use it to buy us more time. Even if it cuts you to, to zero tomorrow, global average temperatures will still rise for a while. Solar geoengineering could conceivably play a role during that peak of climate impacts due to the CO2 already in the atmosphere. So yes, let's cut emissions. Yes, let's adapt to what's already in store. But let's also suck CO2 out. And meanwhile, while we get all these ducks in a row in order to eventually get CO2 concentrations in the atmosphere down again, and while people are dying because of extreme heat and more intense hurricanes are happening and sea levels are rising, we could attempt to do some solar geoengineering to try to decrease the effects of that peak. But this is only going to happen if everyone approaches things rationally and carefully on an international scale. Well, uh, that's not how the world is governed, turns out. In the irrational version of the future, you and I might not get to make a choice about solar geoengineering. Instead of this being a globally democratic decision, you could conceive of a whole number of countries who would be capable of doing this. There are countries that are suffering from the effects of floods and droughts and sea level rise right now. Bangladesh is struggling with the worst flooding for 30 years as this year's monsoon rains take a huge toll on parts A third of Bangladesh is now underwater. People here are used to floods, but not on this scale. To southern Pakistan now, where rising sea levels and depleted fresh water supplies are forcing people to leave their homes. For them, the choice is either we do solar geoengineering and we face an uncertain future, or we don't do solar geoengineering and we lose huge chunks of our country to water and storms very soon. Well, the world's largest seawall is planned in Indonesia to try and prevent the capital Jakarta from disappearing under rising sea levels. Cape Town is about to become the first city on earth to run out of water. The technology is cheap, like we said, they just need planes and chemicals. So maybe one country will just do it without waiting to figure out what the side effects might be. I don't know whether that'll happen in 5 or 10 or 50 years. But you could only imagine that somebody somewhere will attempt to pull the trigger. 
end. Even if you think it's nuts that anyone would consider this to be part of sort of a semi-rational climate policy portfolio, wouldn't it be good to know more about this technology, about the impacts, about the efficacy, about the risks, if and when somebody is compelled to pull the trigger? Solar geoengineering sounds really wacky. And because it sounds so wacky, it's easy to dismiss it or ignore it. But if Gernot Wagner is right, we might not be able to ignore it for very long. Because some country, a country feeling desperate and in need of action, might just go ahead and start putting these chemicals into the atmosphere. And if they start spraying chemicals, they'll have to keep spraying chemicals for a long time to keep temperatures from bouncing back dramatically. The more research we do now, the more we'll know about what that will do to our planet and whether or not solar geoengineering can help us create a better future. From NPR News in New Washington, I'm Mango Pinkwater. President Ariana Grande launched the very last round of solar geoengineering planes today. For decades, the U.S. has been coordinating with other countries to release chemical payloads. But the chemical clouds are no longer necessary because CO2 suckerfish technology has removed so much carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. It's kind of a scary period, like an adjustment period, you know? President Grande speaking at the final release. I don't want to do the same thing a million times over. Meanwhile, in Hoboken, an enormous, intelligent, and extremely judgmental earthworm has escaped from the Daniel M. Etobicoke Memorial. Our wonderfully talented producer is Bird Pinkerton. Our editor is Amy Drozdowska. We got lots of help and owe a lot of thanks to Jillian Weinberger. Our engineer is Jarrett Floyd. And we have music by Chris Zabriskie and Poddington Bear. Many thanks to all of our radio play voices, who are Umer Irfan, Sean Ramesvaram, Kate Daly, Luke Vanderplug, and Christina Animashan. Future Perfect is made possible through a grant from the Rockefeller Foundation. To read more of our reporting on effective altruism, check out vox.com futureperfect. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.